Hello, neighbor. You are listening to the New Garden Church Podcast. We're glad you're here. This year, we are walking through the whole Bible together as a church family, day by day and week by week. We meet at 10 a.m. at DuPont Tyler Middle School in Hermitage, Tennessee. You can join us in person or catch our online gatherings by checking out our website at online. We would love to hear from you. We hope that you enjoy what you hear today and check back in with us again soon. Good morning and welcome to week 23 of our series, Long Story Short. As you may know, we are spending the entire year of 2021 reading through the Bible, the whole Bible. We started in Genesis and we're making our way to Revelation. Currently, we're in the book of the prophet Ezekiel. Now, Ezekiel is not the easiest book to digest, as have been some that we've read before, like Leviticus or Jeremiah. And so I want to remind you of the resources we have online to try and help us all as we read through these books. Perhaps one of the most helpful things is the book overview. It gives you some context of the whole book, what to look out for. We also have the Facebook group where you can ask questions or post uh, things that you've noticed. And then we have our, our Tuesday night Bible talk where we get to all do all that live and in person, not in person, but online with each other. And all of those resources can be found on our website at newgarden.church. 2021. So don't go at it alone. We're all in this together. So let's start talking about the book of Ezekiel. If you have a book, or if you have a Bible, and you want to turn there or open up your app uh, so you can reference things as we go, we're going to start with the first three verses to set the stage. We're going to go ahead and just jump in to Ezekiel chapter one. Here we go. In my 30th year, in the fourth month on the fifth day, While I was among the exiles by the Kibar River, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. On the fifth of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiachin, the word of Yahweh came to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, by the Kibar River, in the land of the Babylonians. There the hand of Yahweh was on him. So in these opening words, we find out some significant details. First, it's the 30th year. And we wonder, okay, the 30th year of what? While there's some debate among different options, most scholars agree this is a reference to Ezekiel and his age. He's just turned 30 years old. So why is that significant? Well, we read in verse 3 that Ezekiel is the son of Buzi, but we also read he is a priest. And 30 is the age when a priest would begin their ministry in the temple. So this should be an exciting time for Ezekiel. He's been studying and training his entire life to be a priest, and now the time has come for him to take his position in the temple and serve Yahweh faithfully. Faithfully, This is good news, right? Well, not so much, because he's not having his birthday party at the temple He's not even close to the temple. He is sitting next to a river in Babylon. And that's probably the most significant thing about this chapter. We find out that everything that is happening is happening in Babylon. So what's the significance of that? Well, Israel was Yahweh's country. They were supposed to never be overthrown by anybody. I mean, they were the favored nation, the chosen people, and they never thought it was possible for them to be overthrown. It'd be similar in some way to like stopping some guy driving his pickup truck down the road with a big American flag and asking him, hey, do you ever think another country like China will overthrow our country? He would say, uh, yeah, right. You know, that impossible. That's never going to happen. We're invincible. Now, I'm not 
saying at all that the United States is God's chosen nation or God's people. That's ridiculous thought. The church is God's chosen nation, the holy people. But the attitude of that guy in the truck is similar to the people in Ezekiel's times. The idea that the thinking, we can never be overtaken. But God said from the beginning, if you follow my ways, I'll give you this land forever. But if you do not follow my ways, I will take this land from you. And that's exactly what God did. If you remember reading in 2 Kings chapter 24 about how King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, he besieges Jerusalem and he takes captive Judah's king Jehoiachin and a bunch of the people and he leads them away to Babylon. Well, Ezekiel is a part of that group. And it's been five years since that happened. And now Ezekiel the priest has been called by God to be the prophet to the refugees living in Babylon. And his first vision of God is a doozy. Now, if you read this in our, this chapter in our reading this week, you might have found it a bit bizarre because it is. Ezekiel gets a vision of God that sounds like God is riding some sort of UFO that's on fire. But what's really going on is it's a combination of different images we've already read about that come straight from the temple. We read through all of these detailed plans about the building of the temple, the different scenes and stones and metals and creatures and artwork. And now Ezekiel is going to see a new kind of combination of all of these images, which is simply to give us a symbolic representation of the glory of God. But as shocking as seeing a vision of Yahweh is, which it is, again, it's where he sees Yahweh. He sees the glory of Yahweh while he is in Babylon. And it is a bizarre chapter because it's a bizarre encounter. And sometimes we struggle with trying to analyze these different verses to nail down exactly what's going on. Michael told us a story on Tuesday about when he was in college, his professor read a similar kind of passage and had everybody kind of draw out as they listened. And at the end, they looked and everybody's picture was a little bit different. And I think that's the point. Like there's some freedom in how we see this because it's more about invoking the feeling of awe than sketching out the details correctly. So today I want to read this, but instead of reading along, perhaps it would be best for you to close your eyes and just let your imagination fill in the details. Imagine what you would feel and see and hear if you were in Ezekiel's shoes. So take a breath, clear your mind, Close your eyes if that would help. Just don't fall asleep. And we'll read Ezekiel chapter 1. I looked and I saw a windstorm coming out of the north, an immense cloud with flashing lightning and surrounded by brilliant light. The center of the fire looked like glowing metal, and in the fire was what looked like four living creatures. In appearance, their form was human. But each of them had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight, their feet were like those of a calf and gleamed like burnished bronze. Under their wings, on their four sides, they had human hands. All four of them had faces and wings, and the wings of one touched the wings of another. Each one went straight ahead. They did not turn as they moved. Their faces looked like this. Each of the four had the face of a human being, and on the right side each had the face of a lion, and on the left the face of an ox. Each also had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces. They each had two wings spreading out upward, each wing touching that of the creature on either side, and each had two other wings covering its body. Each one went straight ahead. Wherever the spirit would go, they would go, without turning as they went. The appearance of the living creatures was like burning coals of fire or like torches 
Fire moved back and forth among the creatures. It was bright, and lightning flashed out of it. The creatures sped back and forth like flashes of lightning. As I looked at the living creatures, I saw a wheel on the ground beside each creature with its four faces. This was the appearance and the structure of the wheels. They sparkled like topaz, and all four looked alike. Each appeared to be made like a wheel intersecting a wheel. And as they moved, they would go in any one of the four directions the creatures faced. The wheels did not change direction as the creatures went. Their rims were high and awesome, and all four rims were full of eyes all around. When the living creatures moved, the wheels beside them moved. And when the living creatures rose from the ground, the wheels also rose. Wherever the spirit would go, they would go, and the wheels would rise along with them because the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. When the creatures moved, they also moved. When the creatures stood still, they also stood still. And when the creatures rose from the ground, the wheels rose along with them because the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. Spread out above the heads of the living creatures was what looked something like a vault, sparkling like crystal and awesome. Under the vault, their wings were stretched out one toward the other, and each had two wings covering its body. When the creatures moved, I heard the sound of their wings, like the roar of rushing waters, like the voice of the Almighty, like the tumult of an army. When they stood still, they lowered their wings. Then there came a voice from above the vault over their heads as they stood with lowered wings. Above the vault over their heads was what looked like a throne of lapis lazuli. High above on the throne was a figure like that of a man. I saw that from what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal, as if full of fire, and that from there down he looked like fire, and brilliant light surrounded him. Like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the radiance around him. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of Yahweh. When I saw it, I fell face down, and I heard the voice of one speaking. When the theologian John Calvin read this chapter, he said, If someone asks if the vision is clear, I confess it's very obscure, and I do not profess to understand it. Now, I don't agree with everything Calvin has said, but I agree with those words right there. It is obscure, and I don't profess to understand it either. So maybe the best place to start or the best question to ask is, what's the climax of the chapter? Like, where is it all going? It's going above the platform on the throne. It was the appearance, like the glory of Yahweh, the glory of Yahweh. Look at verse 28. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of Yahweh. Now, the glory of Yahweh is something we have talked about before. Glory is the Hebrew word kavod, and the literal meaning of the word is heaviness or weight. So when you think of the glory of God, this gives you the idea that you are seeing the full force of God. It's like you're standing on the beach when the giant wave of a tsunami comes crashing onto the shore and nothing can stand in its way. But the literal meaning of the word leads to the metaphorical sense of the word, which is importance or reputation or honor. It's like when we say we have, some, we have to break some heavy 
news to you. The news isn't measured in pounds and ounces, but it has a metaphorical weight. It's important. All of this is wrapped up in the glory of God. The glory or kavod of God is his reputation, his honor, his importance. And Ezekiel is getting a glimpse of what that kavod looks like in this vision. And based on this passage, we might say his glory is unbelievable, bizarre, far out, you know, and theologians don't use words like that. They say things like transcendent. But that's just a fancy way of saying, whoa, that's unbelievable. Now, maybe you've heard it said that what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Unfortunately, though, what comes into our minds of many of us Christ followers when we think about God is that he's our buddy or our friend or our pal. And there are verses in the Bible that say that God is our friend and that he surrounds us with his loving arms. But what makes those verses so fantastic, what makes them so unbelievable, is that the writers start with this God, this unbelievable God, this God who is on the throne and is greater than anything we could possibly fathom. It is that God by His grace, that wants to be our friend. But we don't start with a friendship. We start with the fact that God is so unbelievably awesome and beyond what we could possibly fathom. And it's hard to grasp this concept of God. It can be a struggle. So for those of us who struggle with this concept, or maybe for those of us who maybe don't have as hard of a time, I think there's something we can do that will help us both. And that is following Ezekiel's posture. What does he do when he encounters the glory of God? He falls on his face. Have you ever taken this posture with God? It's a posture I probably don't take often enough. It's definitely a special posture. Like it's not a posture I take when I'm hanging out with friends at Starbucks, chatting it up. I'm not lying on the floor, drinking coffee, talking with my friends. Now I realize you know, it's not a posture you probably want to take in front of a bunch of people because it might just scare them like, oh, are you okay? You might need to go into your room alone and just lay down on your floor, um, you know, and just be with God because that posture will do something to you. When you lay down, it humbles you, you know, you don't have a whole lot of pride when you're just face down on the floor. It messes with you on a different level than just reading about it. So perhaps we have become too proud to take this position. Maybe it's time to add it back into our spiritual disciplines. But what else do we learn about the glory of Yahweh? Well, He's sovereign. He sits on a throne. That's another thing we are far removed from. We don't like thrones or even the idea of monarchy. We're taught in school about how we overthrew the king and we celebrate the revolution. We applaud the democratic republic government that we live in because we have a vote on what goes on. But the best form of government, according to the Bible, the most perfect form of government is an absolute monarchy, as long as the monarch is perfect. That's the best form because every decision is correct and pure and righteous and just. God is the monarch. He sits on the throne. He is sovereign. It's all over the Bible. Look at the Psalms. Yahweh reigns forever. He has established his throne for judgment. Yahweh is in his holy temple. Yahweh is on his heavenly throne. He observes everyone on earth. His eyes examine them. Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. God reigns over the nations. God is seated on his holy throne. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. Yahweh has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. 
But about the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. Nations come and go, but the throne of God lasts forever. He is sovereign over all things. He is Lord over all things. So we feel the weight and the glory of Yahweh. We see He is sovereign, and now we listen to Him as He speaks from His throne. What does He say? And I'm going to read what God says. And as you listen, I want, to, I want you to pay attention. See if anything jumps out, any repeated words or phrases, perhaps one thing that, that just sticks with you. We're going to read chapter 2 and part of chapter 3. Let's listen. He said to me, Son of man, stand up on your feet and I will speak to you. As he spoke, the Spirit came into me and raised me to my feet. And I heard him speaking to me. He said, Son of man, I'm sending you to the Israelites, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their descendants have been in revolt against me to this very day. The people to whom I'm sending you are obstinate and stubborn. Say to them, this is what sovereign Yahweh says. And whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are a rebellious people, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, do not be afraid of them or their words. Do not be afraid, though briars and thorns are all around you and you live among scorpions. Do not be afraid of what they say or be terrified by them, though they are a rebellious people. You must speak my words to them, whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are rebellious. But you, son of man, listen to what I say to you. Do not rebel like that rebellious people. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. Then I looked, and I saw a hand stretched out to me. In it was a scroll, which he unrolled before me. On both sides of it were written words of lament and mourning and woe. And he said to me, Son of man, eat what is before you. Eat this scroll. Then go and speak to the people of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he gave me the scroll to eat. Then he said to me, Son of man, eat this scroll I am giving you, and fill your stomach with it. So I ate it. And it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. He then said to me, Son of man, go now to the people of Israel and speak my words to them. You're not being sent to a people of obscure speech and strange language, but to the people of Israel. Not to a many peoples of obscure speech and strange language whose words you cannot understand. Surely if I had sent you to them, they would have listened to you. But the people of Israel are not willing to listen to you because they are not willing to listen to me. For all the Israelites are hardened and obstinate, but I will make you as unyielding and hardened as they are. I will make your forehead like the hardest stone, harder than flint. Do not be afraid of them or terrified by them, though they are a rebellious people. And he said to me, Son of man, listen carefully and take heart all the words I speak to you. Go now to your people in exile and speak to them. Say to them, this is what sovereign Yahweh says, whether they listen or fail to listen. Then the Spirit lifted me up, and I heard behind me a loud rumbling sound. As the glory of Yahweh rose from the place where it was standing, it was the sound of the wings of the living creatures brushing against each other, and the sound of the wheels beside them, a loud rumbling sound. The Spirit then lifted me up and took me away, and I went in bitterness and in the anger of my spirit, with the strong hand of Yahweh on me. I came to the exiles who lived at Tel Aviv near the Kibar River, and there, where they were living, I sat among them for seven days, deeply distressed. Okay, we read passages like this, and maybe we think, 
this is weird. This is so bizarre. I can't relate to this in any way, shape, or form. What am I even supposed to get out of this? Well, when you read difficult passages like this one, one good question is, did anything stand out? Did I hear anything repeated over and over? Did you see the word or the phrase that was repeated? The people are a what? A rebellious people. When you see something repeated like that, the author is trying to drive home a point. The people are rebellious. And in the face of this rebellious people, what is Ezekiel supposed to do? He's told to eat something. Eat the scroll. Now, that's the whole concept behind our series, Long Story Short, to be people who consume God's Word. Ezekiel was told to eat the scroll so that he can represent God, so that he can be different from the people. How is he to be different? Well, the glory of Yahweh is to impress upon him the idea of who God was, and he was to live a different life, speak the words of God, and not be like the people who were obstinate, stiff-necked, and rebellious. They were rebellious because they wanted their own way. They just wanted to make their own choices and go their own way. They thought that they were constantly protected by God, that God wouldn't hurt them or take them out of the land. They just wanted to be happy in life. Forget obedience. They just want to be happy. To them, that was the most important thing. So how does this apply to us today? Well, we face the same dilemma. We face the same choice Ezekiel faced. Will we allow the glory of Yahweh to change us? Will we bend our knee to the king who is on the throne? Will we consume his word? Or will we be like the world around us who rebel against the king, ignore his word and his glory, and seek their own way, their own happiness? So we have to ask ourselves, what is the most important thing in our lives? Is it seeking our own happiness? Or is it submitting to the only one who can bring us true fulfillment if we trust and obey? Each week we come to a table and we're reminded of that opportunity to choose. We can choose to go our own way, Or we can take the bread and take the cup and say, God, I choose your way. Your way is better than my way. Let's make that choice today as we go to the table. That's it for this time. Thank you for checking in with us, and we'll be back with another episode next week.